Welcome back to Season 3. In celebration of Sefi's 50th anniversary, we delve into some of the wider topics in engineering education. And in this episode, we explore professional recognition. Professor José Carlos Cuadrado, a Sefi fellow with a three-decade career in global leadership roles, shares his unique insights and introduces his latest project, the world's first international professional registration service for engineering educators. Welcome to the European Engineering Educators podcast by CEFI, the European Society for Engineering Education. Our mission is to develop and improve engineering education and strengthen its image in society. So, Neil, when I started as an academic, which is only three years ago, um, I enrolled on a postgraduate certificate which focused on teaching in higher education. And I enjoyed the experience, but I did very much feel like I wanted more specific engineering education content within it and to sort of learn about pedagogies that are particularly relevant within engineering education. Did you go through anything like that? Yeah, I went through something very similar and my teaching qualification is not engineering specific either and it's only through sort of organizations like CEFI that I've been able to reconcile this engineer and the educator on on an international footing so I'm interested today to hear how engineering and teaching professionalism can be brought closer together with Jose's work welcome Jose thank you so much for joining us today uh thank you Natalie Uh... Professor José Carlos Codrado is a CEFI Fellow and a past Vice President of the European Society of Engineering Education, or CEFI. He is President of the Enter Network, an international entity that regulates the profession of engineering teaching worldwide. He is former President and Vice Presidents of several bodies, including the Latin American and Caribbean Consortium of Engineering Institutions, the International Federation of Engineering Education Societies, the Ibero-American Association of Engineering Education. As the current Vice President of the European Network for Accreditation of Engineering Education, he actively supports new accreditation agencies in Central Asia, Africa, the Middle East and Latin America. He's also the Chair-Elect of the International Division of the American Society for Engineering Education and a member of the Accreditation Board of the Kazakh Society for Engineering Education current Deputy Director of the Centre for Research in Interdisciplinary Studies. He has more than 150 international publications, several patents and international awards for technology and impact on higher education. So you've obviously had quite a varied and wide-spanning career. I'm just wondering if you could tell our listeners a bit about that journey that you've gone through. Well, it has been a long journey, uh, a 33 years uh, journey. Uh, as an engineering educator and mm. um well actually this shows a little bit on the change then i think my career is very connected with the change that we've seen in the profession of engineering educator so mm-hmm. i started last century well, well if you want to be really depressed last millennium uh, <laughs> and uh, as uh, an engineer educator i got through the ropes that in europe was uh, changing i was mm-hmm. from the first generation needing to have a, a phd to go through his career until then mm-hmm. that was not really uh, the the point it was not really the key element 
Mm-hmm. Uh, then, of course, uh, I had the opportunity to study in UK, and this actually opened uh, my mind in different ways. And uh, when eventually I focused on how to improve my career, I noticed that I, I needed to learn more. Mm-hmm. So I always balanced my different positions in the university and i was um, department head i was dean i was vice president i was president of the institute uh, so i cover all of that and uh, heads of the different councils pedagogical scientific all of this but always mm-hmm. trying to bridge it with other parts of the world and learning with that so mm-hmm. this was uh, I, i'm still on a learning experience uh, which is connect me to all of these parts and because i was active in these different parts of the world the different continents i eventually got uh, these positions which you mentioned mm-hmm. hola jose hola Neil. Very good Portuguese. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so you're a member of the Lisbon Higher Institute of Engineering, yes. um, a Portuguese polytechnic founded in 1852. Mm-hmm. It's the oldest engineering school in the country and distinguishes itself by its commitment to ever-evolving quality education. And it says it gives priority to the practical and experimental teaching in tune with the reality that lies beyond academia. Can you tell us more about the Lisbon Higher Institute of Engineering and this practical and experimental teaching approach? Yes, Neil, of course. It'll be my, my pleasure. So, um, as you know, uh, the engineering education uh, came out from different backgrounds all across Europe. Uh, yeah. For example, in Central Europe, it came out from the nobility wanted to uh, move from eye designs into uh, practice. Yeah. Uh, in in UK, for example, was coming out from the craftsmanship, uh, and as it grew into that, so. Uh, the the interesting thing is that I do believe that uh, in ISL uh, we do tend to mix both things. You're here today to talk about your work in the Erasmus Plus Enter project, um, which is the Engineering Educators Pedagogical Training. It's resulted in this international professional registration service for engineering educators and gives guidance on training and fostering these European traditions and values. So could you tell us how this project came about? Okay. Well, uh, it was really quite interesting. Uh, Through a conversation with different colleagues from different parts of the world, uh, we did manage to understand that there is the need to think on the profession per se Mm. and try to understand exactly how could we have this common ground. Because yeah. the world is very, very diverse. So, so when was this? This, well, the inception, it was uh, 2018. Okay. Uh, and uh, eventually it was approved by the end of, of the year, but we started in 2019. So as part of the ENTER project, you've come up with a sort of list of competencies that engineering educators should have. I'm just wondering how this was developed and the sort of stages to come up with this list. Okay. Oh, well, that was the first big challenge that we had, because when you think global-wise, uh, you need to really understand what uh, people are looking into that. So we did it like put a lot of questionnaires, inquires, 
into mm-hmm. different associations, different uh, uh, institutions uh, all around the world, mm-hmm. asking them what were their major characteristics which they saw uh, that they should uh, analyze, and in the middle, to which competencies uh, do you think would support all of this? Because uh, there was, uh, you need to understand, there is a a big um, uh, fighting around the world in each region on what uh, it is important uh, mm-hmm. if if you want to be political correct we could say there are different tensions uh, and those tensions are of course uh, leading to um, different views so is there any like specific differences that you noticed or that um you know were particularly difficult when you were coming up with the final list of competencies yes there was well the idea that an engineer should be a generalist or a specialist Mm. or the t profile coming at some point in itself also the balance between the the need for theory and the need for practice Uh, Mm. uh, some schools well like mine when i studied uh i did study theological engineering and it was theological because uh, every time we ask something the professor has said well you have to have faith one day you'll understand why this theory is going to be used somewhere in the in the in the pragmatic however there are some countries which no longer follow that routine also there were uh, the idea of uh, the knowledge to be ready to use or a long-term learning something uh, some schools are very much focused about the the later competences in life and some uh, are the professionals can be ready employed and as an engineer mm-hmm. and of course uh, the vision of the initial and lifelong training associated with that uh, it was also important um, as well as in some cases the difference between working and learning and uh, engineering was making the bridge on some of that more focus in one side or the other so the tensions are, are huge and not necessarily just among regions inside the same region it's sometimes the same the same uh, country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So you talk about these tensions between different engineering education traditions, and this can be on a regional basis or, or an international basis. Are there any really broad tensions that exist, um, sort of intercontinental? So, for example, between Europe and South America. Well, um, well thank you for asking that, Neil. Actually. It is, uh, you mentioned a very clear example of um, systems with uh, with a, a difference of development of around 20 years. Yeah. So that means most of the struggles that you have been facing in South American institutions now is the same that we did 20 years ago. So, for example, the idea that the, the educators should have their PhD, it's, well, it's quite accepted uh, around Europe. It's, however, still lagging behind in South America, and they're really trying to, to go on to that. So their requests, uh, their struggle is how to get to the same place where Europe or the United States are at that moment. Do you think that across the world we're kind of converging on a single standard? Definitely not, and I'm I'm <laughs> glad I'm glad we do, we are not right. because actually, if there is a value that we should propagate from Europe, is precisely the diversity. 
Yeah. I just uh, since from the background, but also nowadays, we can see that there are different kinds of uh, engineering education around the world, and some other which are popping out uh, probably as we speak. Uh, and that's a key point because as long as it keeps innovating, it means it's still alive and it's still trying to focus uh, and to respond to a society which needs continuous innovation in the engineers, therefore also uh, in their educators. So one of the criticisms I've heard about accreditation, for example, may be that actually the accreditation is driving a, a standardization, which is not always uh, something that we want yes absolutely and uh, accreditation when it's intrusive uh, it mm. is uh, one of the biggest problems that we have nowadays in the development of institutions oh. the accreditation should not be intrusive should be actually first about understanding what is the the plan what is the desire the objective of each program of each institution uh, and then try to help them to get better under their own plan and not being intrusive or prescriptive. So it should be something uh, that it makes sense based on what the institution wants to do and not someone coming from abroad telling them what they should be doing. And how influential do you think accreditors are then on, the, on, on an individual institution and, and how they form their engineering education practice? Well, again, in Europe, I think we are setting a, a, a very good practice yeah. of having uh, agencies which uh, try not to be so intrusive and try to guarantee the minimum of quality, uh, which is accepted by all the others. Other parts of the world, they tend to be very much impositive and how they should make the changes with the problems that they have on that. So it depends on the region, it depends uh, again on the institution and also uh, on the, the vision of institutions. Some institutions just looking for a quick fix, which means they are just looking to find out some way to get a paper saying they are accredited and really want it to get better. Would it be fair to say that more authoritarian societies have uh, a similar accreditation culture absolutely not actually it's quite <laughs> interesting uh, we see that some of uh, the so-called free democratic countries uh, around the world are some tries trying to impose precisely a, um, a different profile and actually mm. not just doing it in their own country but even exporting and doing accreditation abroad more or less with the same focus uh, and that's uh, that's a problem of course uh, in more authoritarian uh, regimes um, you find more of a control mm. but not necessarily more of an imposing it's more about looking at the limits which is again also not positive definitely but it's more on that uh, in some countries uh, usually which are very much trying to back up their own economic development so they will uh, be more impositive thinking of that greater good so you just um sort of mentioned the need to innovate i guess and i guess stay up with changes in society and in some of your recently published work you sort of advocate several areas where engineering education is currently underdeveloped so professional or responsible skills such as collaboration ethics sustainability all of which we've covered within this podcast 
But you also identified creativity, and we haven't really discussed that. So I was wondering if you could tell us more about that. Okay, so uh, actually, is one of the, the requirements. Uh, we didn't go too much into the requirements; they can be found into the the website. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are, uh, however, um, some uh, some of the, the information which is required in terms of proving their own uh, creativity as educators to provide this creativity in the classroom. Mm-hmm. So and it's not it's not a direct uh, way to do it. So, for example, by creating a more comp- uh, more accepting environment, to be more present with students' ideas, to encourage autonomy, all of those things are evaluated in a way that uh, they really uh, give the students direct feedback on their creativity. And that's fundamental. Actually, uh, nowadays, uh, it's one of the things that we can better help our students is to let them know if they're appropriate, it's appropriate to be creative, it's appropriate mm-hmm. to fail, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, at the same time, try to channel these uh, creativity impulses uh, as something which is uh, can be the what we call the minor C. Uh, mm-hmm. Probably you know the the concept. So the big C's are uh, about the big creativity kind of things. Uh, uh, the big influences like uh, an engineer like Nikola Tesla, which mm-hmm. did a lot of this creativity. But the minor C could be about doing smaller things that actually push out in the same direction. So mm-hmm. this intrinsic motivation needs to be covered, as well as other competencies that uh, they do require as educators. Mm-hmm. So for some of these like new, uh, maybe emerging competencies, what type of professional development opportunities are available to engineering educators to sort of help them stay up to date with, with this? Well, um, That's one of the things uh, um, that we need to understand. It was part of the discussion is how often do you get um, your own uh, revision of your own process of education? So I I do believe that uh, most uh, engineer educators, the large majority, started with very good intentions and they did a lot of uh, hard work to create their own style, their own competencies. Uh, But then they sort of lagging out because of a lot of pressures that exist. Mm -hmm. It's not just because they didn't want to and they lost this impulse. So that's Mm -hmm. the reason why being a registered uh, professional engineering educator it requires that you are currently doing more stuff uh, doing the upgrading the understand the innovation and adjust to what's needed mm-hmm. so in your answer there jose you mentioned professional registration and a website and this was one of the outputs of the project that you've come in here to talk about today, the Enter Project. So could you tell us more about that? Yes, of course. Thank you very much, Neil. The idea is, um, well, the project itself, it was, I, I told you, a good way to reflect how we could uh, look at the, the having uh, the competencies of engineering educators around the world. Yeah. And we did find out that, um, of course, these competencies need to be to have some training. But at the same time, our first uh, obstacle is to understand exactly how do we know if the people have the different competencies or not. 
Mm. So uh, uh, based on that, we needed to understand first to do the diagnosis. And the idea of doing the diagnosis means you are committed to the profession. You don't Mm. want to do the diagnosis of something that you're not committed. So it actually spin out out of this project. It was a spin out that... uh, after the project ends, uh, ended, we started the, the Enter Network, which was precisely the place where you could diagnose this and at the same time rewarding the people which uh, went through the process uh, of uh, doing this review um, with uh, the recognition of their peers uh, uh, global-wise. This is why from the project we came out to the Enter Network, which is the the NGO that currently regulates um, the functioning of this uh, professional uh, register. So I'm an engineering educator and I go to the Enter Network and for a diagnosis. Yeah. And if you go anywhere for a diagnosis, you expect a, a, a treatment, a prescription. Um, <laughs> exactly. What, what, <laughs> so, so, so what kind of treatments do, do you give engineering educators? Okay. So first of all, uh, this diagnosis, uh, and we're being very medical on that, but okay. <laughs> this assessment of, of the needs in itself. Yeah, it's yeah. basically, we try not reinvent the wheel, but actually look how the academy is doing that. And the academy is doing that for research now for uh, dozens of years, uh, uh, which is exactly by peer evaluation. So the people were supposed uh, to actually be able to express all the competencies that they have. And Mm. looking at those competencies have peers which will analyze them. Mm. And and that's the idea. So you go online, you said what competency you have, you show evidences that you have those competencies. Yeah. And after that, uh, it will be reviewed by three uh, colleagues, three, okay. other, three professors, which, by the way, they also must be members of the register. It means that they also have, must have been evaluated by themselves, by, by someone else. And um, the idea is uh, then they will look into that. They look at each one of the components, the scientific parts, the management parts, the pedagogical parts, and they will make suggestions based on their experience um, how the people can improve. Of course, the, we are talking about senior, more senior people, more senior educators, which have experienced them more, which can give these suggestions also to help uh, the development. And in this development, uh, the diagnosis, they go into different parts, for example. So all of this is evaluated by someone, not in a way to give rating, but to actually see, uh, getting back to the diagnosis, if there is some parts which you can improve uh, and be better. So you know what to improve. Um, I suppose the next question is, um, how do you improve? Uh, absolutely. So that's precisely once you have the diagnosis, the idea is how to improve. So um, the internet work the, does not supply anything in particular except some links to some uh, institutions, uh, which can be any institution that do professional development programs in the world where um, the, you can improve. But again, not necessarily needed to go out of your institution. Sometimes it's about your institution develop the right uh, training. And in order to understand if it's the right training, again, inter-network bridges 
those universities with the international accreditation agencies, which will look into these professional development programs. So the idea of the inter-network is to support the, the person, but at the same time to help the, the different stakeholders needed to this to work to be together. So the the quality the credit the quality assurance agencies, the accreditation agencies will look at the professional development programs and help them to guarantee that certain competencies are met. And therefore, uh, you then can follow up this uh, situation and this link uh, if you want to improve um, somehow. Okay, so so when was this um, Enter Network released and um, how many engineering educators have participated in it? Once we ended the project, uh, the idea we started to develop in the, uh, the network first with uh, the, those which were involved into the project, but then opening to the general public. So yeah. the early adopters uh, came in, started to come in in March 2022. Uh, that's when it was launched. Yeah. Uh, Therefore, people start applying from, again, as I said, early adopters. One of the key points is that they did not need to be able to be registered uh, to know English. So the idea is that mm. the web page is also with different languages, but also uh, at the same time that they would submit all their evidences in their own language. So that was the key point. That means that uh, we now have uh, members of the monitoring uh, committee member, those which make the review from uh, that can handle 12 different languages and covering more than 90% of the used language in the world. But we aim to be for everyone. So obviously, then educators get some kind of feedback and suggestions for their development. And I assume to some degree, this is like some sense of reward or recognition for their yeah, work. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm just wondering if there's like any other benefits or the key benefits well, that you feel. Yes. Well, actually, the first one, and then when we look back, when we look at, we help creating a new profession. The engineering educator was just another higher education educator until we started this process. And now it's recognized through ILO um, as a profession. So mm -hmm. the profession in itself facilitates the recognition of educators' knowledge, understanding, and practical uh, capabilities. It's like in an, any other profession. And uh, that they meet these uh, international high standards, which are recognized around the world. So employers are also looking into that. And in some institutions, this is part of their recruitment or uh, career development uh, process precisely because of that. So also, of course, it testifies the commitment of the educator, not just as a professional educator, but also that he wants to continually improve uh, and receives the information how we can strengthen. So this feedback, as you said, is very important. Mm -hmm. um, uh, how to uh, uh, the direction how to do this professional improvement, but also there are benefits for the universities which employ these people because currently, and Europe was led uh, the process in that. If you're accrediting a program, there is one requirement. It's about the, the the people which are involved, about the staff, the training staff of an engineering program. If the majority of your educators are uh, internationally registered, it means that they could uh, be uh, without um, any problem fulfilling that part of the program accreditation. Mm -hmm. 
is it a institutional membership or an is an individual membership isn't it uh there are uh, there are no memberships in itself uh, so the the professional well, uh, the professional is it like a register so you register yeah. and you do have your professional registration uh, and once you register and after you've been evaluated you're told if you can register or not so if you don't mm -hmm. have enough evidences you'll receive this information of course you can gather more evidences and re reapply again if you want but eventually if you're accepted then you're part of a register you don't have to pay any membership uh, right. onto okay. that uh, because uh, that's not really a, a for-profit kind of process. Mm -hmm. We are a non-profit mm -hmm. uh, organization. Yeah. You do have to pay for the the process of registering itself because it's mm -hmm. to guaranteed that you are in a uh, accepted, well secured uh, mm -hmm. website, well uh, database uh, in the cloud for the rest of your life as an engineer educator. Uh, mm -hmm. However, being for the rest of your life doesn't mean, does not mean you're active. So if you yeah. do not uh, regularly submit to some uh, revisions, uh, you will lose your status of active, but you're still there showing which period you were uh, recognized and accredited to uh, exercise this profession as an engineer educator. So for people interested in this, is there some kind of membership fee or is it an institutional fee? How, how does that side of things work? Uh, let me just add something uh, about the institutional membership. Um, in the Enter Network, there is a part where institutions can be members. It's not directly uh, uh, crossed with this individual process. It's about a discussion on the future of the competencies. So we know mm -hmm. that the competencies which were obtained, they need to be regularly uh, uh, adjusted. And therefore, institutions which are interested, they can join uh, and they can be part of that discussion. And uh, for the moment, we have over 250 organizations which are directly or through the net or through other networks uh, taking part of this uh, uh, of this process of the discussion of the future so this it is possible for the universities to take part of this discussion uh, as well as quality assurance uh, um, bodies or mm -hmm. associations of uh, engineering uh, education institutions mm -hmm. so um i think neil mentioned at the start that there's 34 countries or people from 34 different countries that are involved in this I'm just wondering if there's, um, you know, particular countries that have lots of members or lots of involvement. Okay. Well, uh, actually, let's first try to understand uh, what are more or less the global statistics on the amount of engineering uh, educators uh, mm -hmm. around the world. We're talking about uh, as a round number, alpha million. So 500,000 mm -hmm. uh, engineer educators. Um, wow. So that's the covering point. It's a lot. <laughs> they are yeah. not really evenly distributed. Of course, there are mm -hmm. regions where they are much more and many more than others. Uh, some countries where there is a, a huge amount of them also due to their uh, their dimension and some of them uh, due to their uh, focus on engineering itself. So uh, when you're looking about uh, all of this, uh, and although uh, we are uh, 
started just less than a year ago. Uh, we already know uh, that um, uh, over 4,000 uh, people did enroll into the process. We noticed there are some trends. Well, first of them, one of the trends is that the, there is a, a lot of uh, inequality uh, in the different continents in the world. For example, mm -hmm. uh, as you can imagine, Africa is mm -hmm. not having uh, enough uh, engineering educators uh, going through that, although we have some mm -hmm. countries, just a small representation. And they are struggling with a lot of uh, the things that we take as uh, normal, like, for mm -hmm. example, having uh, full I degrees in order to be the trainer which is something mm -hmm. that it does not happen in some countries over there. And then the, there is the, the the looking to more of those uh, soft skills in some regions. For example, uh, in Russia, uh, it was uh, fundamental to have a recognition, uh, international recognition in order to get some points in their career development. Mm -hmm. uh, now they are more or less isolated. Uh, so this uh, situation will, will change. But still the engineer educators there were very much uh, pushed into looking abroad in order to develop their own career nationally. Uh, then, for example, we look at uh, North America, Mexico, uh, US, uh, Canada, uh, and they are very much looking about uh, tenured and how the tenured uh, uh, will be achieved by having uh, this kind of register. So, of course, in, uh, we can see a lot of more of this uh, trying to look for uh, some evidences in order to develop their own process of career development. Mm -hmm. uh, and these are the countries where you would find most of them. Uh, for example, if you look uh, into China, there is uh, uh, the evaluation which uh, focusing a lot in the positions uh, in themselves. So very much keen about developing of their their past career uh, and positions they assume in different parts. Um, and uh, when you look all globally, we'll see that the different competencies that I mentioned earlier, they're not all balanced in the same way. So although, for example, uh, the, the unfortunately COVID uh, pandemic uh, brought a lot of problems, for mm -hmm. example, it increased the digital education uh, global-wise on mm -hmm. a very democratic way, by the way. It's not just about some of the countries. So actually, all the digital education went up in some mm -hmm. different parts and so different resources, but all of them uh, did. But however, uh, learning outcomes assessment, for example, is still just a, a minority uh, of them which are displaying high level of accomplishment. Uh, because the concept of uh, not looking at the outputs, not looking at knowledge, but looking at the learning outcomes, it's in some parts of the world still not really imposed. And therefore, the educator is not looking on that. So Europe does have the lead on that. So I think Bologna process actually helped us uh, uh, into achieving this. But um, there are other areas where this is uh, is not as good. Uh, for example, in terms of uh, the idea of interaction with stakeholders, uh, you can find much more easy of interaction with stakeholders uh, in, uh, in Asia and in South America than, for example, in the Northern Hemisphere in itself. 
uh, the Western uh, part of the world, uh, the professor tends to be very much focused uh, in their own research and their own uh, education and less in interacting with the stakeholders, understanding, therefore, why is doing what is is doing. Mm-hmm. The sustainable development, although it's been a pressure all across the world, uh, is not really seen the same way in different parts. While um, there are less educators uh, registered from Africa, uh, currently you'll see that they are much more um, trying and and having some results of thinking about the, the SDGs uh, mm-hmm. than, uh, for example, uh, in Europe, where we have a lot of information, but less people thinking on that as something mandatory for their own engineering education. So mm-hmm. these are some of the trends we can find from the data so far, which are quite interesting because actually allows you to understand how sometimes uh, uh, countries and continents with uh, a lot of resources are not really using them as they could. So you've given us some really interesting insights into the kind of data that you're you're collecting as part of this um, network um, on 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 different uh, areas in the world, different educators and, and different profiles. It seems to me that you know everybody doesn't get to the same level in every competence. Could you say some more about that? I mean, what what, what are you seeing in terms of relative levels of uh, achievement uh, of people in, in, in the network? Oh, well, thank you for asking me that, Neil. Uh, actually, uh, that's one of the key points uh, that sometimes moves uh, academia. It's not just <laughs> about being recognized, but the idea that you can improve and you can actually move on to that. So, on a positive registration of educator, you will be assigned, depending on the evidence that you provided, on a professional level that is uh, compatible with those evidence uh, and the proposed professional development recommended. Uh, mm. So there are actually six different levels of educators. And as normally you would expect, uh, the majority follows in the first one, which is simply educator, which is someone that teaches using accepted theories and practice, seeking to raise students' awareness and instill their understanding, inspiring students to pursue their interest and uh, uh, evolve deeper into, into certain subjects. So that's normal. It shows already commitment with the profession, and that's the kind of thing that you want to do it. But yeah. as you move forward in terms of what you can do, then you'll have the effective educator, which is well-prepared, organizing and planning each class, sets clear and fair expectations, has positive attitudes uh, with the students and with the colleagues, and assess their teaching on a regular basis. So you can really adjust uh, their strategies to the students, to the material, and so on. Yeah. Uh, when you go even higher, then you can get to outcome-based educator who practice outcome-based teaching and learning. And it's not just looking for the results. It emphasizes this explicit declaration of these learning outcomes and how to identify it uh, and continually assess students' performance and to make their improvements, not just thinking on the present, but on the future. 
uh, moving uh, higher, then you get scholarly educators who uh, practice scholarship of teaching and learning, uh, uh, and it gets to to see teaching uh, as an intellectual work with a process of inquiry, and and he, of course he uses his research uh, or some research that employs the same criteria uh, to different uh, process, share with others what he's doing in the class. Uh, uh, through peer-reviewed uh, uh, publications mm. on engineering education, so that's the kind of like uh, uh, like the journal uh, of engineering educators uh, yeah. uh, that exists in Europe associated with SAFI. Uh, then we have the education researcher, which do uh, perform and conducts education research to improve higher education and the development of strategies for solving important issues for uh, future education, such as recruitment, the need for new competencies, the ability to deal with the new times of interdisciplinarity and complex knowledge. So here we get to a very high level. And of course, the, the final, and of course, less and less people get to that point. And then mm. senior education research, which leads education research to improve higher education in the development of those, those some uh, strategies, looks for the societal impacts and supports technically the corresponding policy changes at the national or international level. As you can guess, uh, there are, for this description, there are many more in the first three uh, yes. sides and less and less on the others. Actually, we do not have any senior education researcher from the time being, because no one did manage to provide all the evidence necessary for that. So it means everyone register still has a, a way to, to grow. So there's several networks available to engineering educators to help them collaborate and share best practices. CEFI is the main network in Europe. Which other networks uh, would you recommend to people in, in other places in the world? This is conducted by CEFI, and uh, being a fellow of CEFI, I do know the value that comes out of that. And, and CEFI, it is uh, the leading institution on providing these same values of uh, educator, engineer educator for for the for Europe. However, when it tries to bridge it out to the rest of the world, it's not really successful in some points. For example, I think institutions like 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 say the Latin America Caribbean Consortium is doing a much better job making a linkage between U.S. Uh, and uh, South America, with the Caribbean in the middle, of course, but in the idea that it will join people uh, from different cultures in the same uh, space uh, to sharing their education practice, north, south, south, north, as you wish, uh, in different languages, so even focus on that. If you go to Africa, uh, the Association of, of uh, African Engineering Education is probably one of the leading process there however it has it faces a lot of struggle between the different languages which have practiced that so if you go to the region the french-speaking region you probably will get other organizations which are better uh, if you're looking into more of the eastern world and even the russian development will get at egypt which was original developed in Germany, uh, Eastern Germany associated mm. with uh, Russian in itself. If you go to China, you have CAST, which is doing a lot of good job also around there. So there are different regions, and I'm I'm, sh I'm sure I forgot a lot of them, uh, mm. of this organization. I do apologize on that. But each one always have their own, not just the ability 
to do something in the region, but also to expand and to bridge with other uh, with other areas. So I think that's uh, that's uh, something that is challenging per se. And I think each organization should look how to sometimes get a little bit out of the box and try to link with other regions into their be their best practices. So do say you've given us loads of information about um, this sort of professional development opportunity. I'm just wondering if you could give our listeners one sort of single advice or takeaway um, to sort of summarize what they should do next. Well, uh, I think it's more or less natural from what I said so far, uh, is that if you really think uh, that you that's for you the profession of engineering educator, you should really uh, try to go for it. Uh, mm -hmm. Because uh, take your diagnosis, see how you are, uh, commit to getting better, to improve continuously. Uh, because it's it's actually something uh, fundamental for engineer educators. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that's uh, uh, what we can take. There is a lot of people thinking how to support the community uh, on that. There are still are, and many more people continue. But it's, at the end of the day, a very individual effort uh, if you want to improve as an educator or you just want to uh, be a nice researcher or, or something else. So there's a website, isn't there, for this network? Yes, uh, www.enterprof.org. Jose, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a really interesting conversation, which has covered lots of different areas, which I hope will be of interest to our listeners. Thank you. Thank you very much, Neil. Thank you very much, Natalie. It was a pleasure and looking forward to see you soon in other occasions. And, uh, and don't forget, let's get better. Okay, so Natalie... Jose got me thinking about a couple of things, you know, he's got this longer term and global perspective. Mm. And I took a look at his network he set up and, you know, it's quite young, really. You know, there's probably, you know, 50 to 100 people listed on the site. Mm -hmm. um, so it seems to me like sort of a nice network to get involved in, especially, I think, if you're involved in the quality assurance side of things rather than research. Mm. Yeah. And, and what, I, what I like about it, too, is there's some scope for professional development there as well. Mm -hmm. What about you? Yeah, so I think I was also really interested in that sort of the global differences. And I think it was really highlighted that although it's good to understand these global differences, you know, there's some ways we can learn from each other. We, we want to keep the differences we have, but also understand one another and how that sort of works together. Yeah. Um, I think I really sort of took away that if we want to be taken sort of seriously as a profession, then these sorts of frameworks are quite important to sort of define what we see as important attributes for educators mm. and the areas in which we should develop, you know, sort of hold ourselves accountable yeah. um, for that process as as sort of engineering education and, and what we're teaching students changes as well. Um, I think I'm really interested in the sort of peer review aspect and mm. how we can learn from one another, you know, those more experienced than ourselves and, and from different contexts. So I think that's really makes it a really strong sort of idea as well. So if you'd like to um, check out the network, then the address is 
enterprof.org. And as ever, if you've got any feedback for us or you'd like to be involved in the podcast, please get in contact. Also, if you're interested in Cephi, then visit the website www.cephi.b. That's all for this episode. Bye for now. Take care.